Welcome to episode number 81 of Off the Shelf. I want to welcome you to the Off the Shelf podcast. This episode is the conclusion of our three-part interview with James Manuel of Cape Town, South Africa. James spent 40 years in the message before leaving in 2012. With me in this interview are our co-hosts, Emily Arndt and Tim Krause. So you mentioned, you know, that's challenging and you just kind of listening to this conversation here and you've shared bits of your journey and the challenges of your own journey and um, you have a passion for reaching out to message believers. You're very active, I know, on Facebook and in other media and doing your local ministry in South Africa. And I'm sure you've had plenty of terrible things said about you and your wife. And I just can't imagine uh, the stuff that you face because you are willing to be so vocal uh, for the gospel. So what, given everything you've gone through, what is your advice to those that have left the message about how to start fresh? Emily, yeah, that is um, probably one of the, one of the, the questions that get asked the most. Um, I've had this question, you know, I've, um, I, I, a, a lot of message pastors from, from the continent of Africa now have befriended me. And whereas they previously were militant in their, their approach, they are now gentle. And, you know, they know that there's problems in the message. But this question comes, um, you know, with, with every everyone that I talk to ask the same questions. If we leave the message, where do we go to? What do we do? Um, you know, what, what are you suggesting we should do? Um, when, when we came out, uh, we were generally isolated. And in my case, I was destitute and alone. Um, I, I remember how I used to cry, Emily. And, you know, Crystal would put my head on a bosom and just rub my head gently and say, don't worry, everything will be fine. My, my best friend, um, who is now just um, passed away recently as well, he phoned me one day and he said to me, do you believe William Branham is the prophet? I said to him, but, you know, um, I, I don't believe he's a prophet anymore. And so he said to me, well, if you don't believe he's, he's the prophet, then I'm not your friend anymore. And he threw the phone in my, in my ear. Um, I had a, a, a couple of brothers that came to visit here. Uh, they, they actually went to a funeral. And then the people that they were supposed to uh, uh, overnight with, those people disappointed them. And they had no choice but to come to me. But they didn't realize at the time that I've left the message. So, you know, and, and at that time, I was, like, I was like a tiger. Any message believer I get, you know, I'll, I'll go on the attack immediately. And, you know, and I, I'm, I'm sure a bit of that bitterness, you know, uh, uh, um, displayed itself as well or manifested itself as well 
and I was, and these are, are ministers. And I explained to them why I don't believe the message anymore. And I remember this one brother, he um, decided to do a prayer for me. And his old prayer, it was actually quite sad. Um, in his prayer, he was asking God to take me away. He was asking God, you know, to, to um, you know, just uh, destroy my, my body so that my, my soul could be saved. And I'm listening to this guy's prayer. And I thought to myself, wow, um, you know, <laughs> he's like on an, in a nice way, he's cursing me. And that is what we experienced at the beginning. And I had to find my way. But those who are living now at least have some support from us and others who took the step before them. Um, at least they have our experience um, to, to build on. And, you know, so Emily, my advice to anyone leaving the message is simply this. Start reading your Bible. You'll be surprised how many wonderful things we were robbed of. Uh, message followers, as you know, are strictly King James Version only. But I found it very refreshing to read versions that explain passages of Scripture in today's English. Um, some of the versions I love is the modern English version, which is basically like the King James Version, but it, it, it translates it in, in modern English. Then there's the easy read version or the message version that I enjoy very much. There's also the new, uh, new language translation, which I love, and a few others. It is interesting to compare the different versions. I'll give you one example. Message believers love to quote 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, that says, that Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's their justification for following William Branham. But if you read one of the other versions, it makes it clear what Apostle Paul was saying. And that is... Follow my example as I follow Christ's example. Secondly, I would, I would say to these people, visit other churches and find a place of fellowship where you will be happy. And make sure that the church that you decide to attend have their teaching based solidly on scripture. Thirdly, I would say lift up your head and walk tall. Let the wolves howl. You keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and, and allow the Holy Spirit to teach, lead, and guide you. Be humble and be a witness of the saving power of Jesus Christ. And fourthly, and most importantly, don't lose your vision of Jesus. Yeah. Amen. There's, a, there's an old song, James, that says, uh, the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not. I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. And, and that's the important thing. Jesus will never leave you. If you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit has been promised to lead you. The job of the Holy Spirit is to make Jesus real. That's and, and when he does that in the church, the result is revival. Um, you know, when, when we started looking for a church, we looked at a bunch of churches and people say, oh, the churches are, you know, there's no good churches. Only message churches are good. No, most message churches are, are lukewarm. There are a few churches and there, uh, and this is what I, I've looked for. And there's a list that actually a guy by the name of Tim Keller, who's got a lot of 
of, of respect for, has said, look for a, a, a place where there's worship, where people sense the presence of God, where people are there to meet God. The purpose of worship is not, you know, and church is, is not always teaching and evangelism or fellowship, it's to worship. We worship God. And secondly, you want to find a group of people that's focused, as you said, on a study of the Word of God. Truth shines in their lives because of their focus on the Word of God. And, and the other thing is, is uh, a third point, is that you want a group where there's love, there's intimate fellowship, there's community, and people love one another. Mm. And, and fourth, you look for a church where there's aggressive outreach and evangelism. Um, that's rare these days, at least in Canada, where uh, and message churches are not focused aggressively on outreach and evangelism. And, and so where you find a church where they're constantly reaching out and trying to introduce people to Jesus, that's a wonderful church. And fifthly, look for a church that's having an impact on society around. We actually, at our church, one month of the year, all the money that comes into the church goes out to charities in our community. And we wow. gave money to one group, and they said, no church has ever given us money before. And we said, well, we're, you're, you're doing a really good job in our community. We love what you're doing. And they were shocked that the church would actually think about doing something good in the community. So those kind of five things, deep teaching of the word, worship, intimate fellowship, aggressive evangelism, compassionate social concern for those around you. If you find a church that's strong in all those five things, the Spirit of God is there. Amen. And Emily, you, you would remember we um, sat in my lounge and we had this conversation. I was telling you that, um, you know, that I, I wasn't really happy with what I see in churches in, in, in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know if you remember, you um, encouraged me to go and visit a Baptist church in the area. Um, yes. it, it was so refreshing. When I walked into that church and I heard the the um, the music, the worship, and especially the word, it was solidly based on scripture, and it was it was such an eye opener that you hmm. know from 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 our last conversation, I now mm-hmm. know that if you look for the right things, like like Rod said, then um, you'll be well on your way, um, serving God. Amen. Well, that's great to hear that. I that's I do I do remember that conversation. Yes, I do. Hey, hey James, I want to shift gears just a moment here. Now, you know, there's the people that have left the message, and it's an we see this a lot where people will say, as an example, um, and they're you know you you voiced this or you articulated this before where. People did not treat you well. They didn't treat you with respect or even, uh, or even you know, they, they basically turned their back or shunned you. People who leave the message that are searching, earnestly searching, oftentimes end up becoming atheists or agnostics. Now, this it's really easy to understand why this happens. The way they're treated when they leave message churches, there's a, a lot of people, at least here in the United States, say, if this is Christianity, if I'm walking away, if, if the message of William Branham is Christianity, as the message 
ministers claim that I don't want anything to do with Christianity because of the way they behaved toward the people that are leaving. So, so how, and it's difficult. You, you can talk to those people about Jesus. And I, we've seen some remarkable instances where people actually come back to Christ and, and recommit themselves to Christ and Christ alone without the need for a, a prophet messenger. But can you give us an idea, give us your view of what the proper approach to religion and faith is based on your experience since you've left the message? Yes, Tim, it is, it is sad to see so many wandering off into atheism or becoming agnostic. Personally, I don't blame anybody who takes such a radical step. Neither do I judge anyone. However, we have to realize it was not God who lied to us. It was not God who made us believe all the spy in the sky. It was not God who deceived us. It was William Branham. So I don't have a problem with God. My problem is with one, William Branham. And therefore, I don't see the logic in turning our backs on God or even believe that he doesn't exist. My approach to religion is simple. I don't know everything. And I don't believe I ever will. I don't understand everything. and never claim that I did. But there's one thing I know. Even if atheists are correct, which they are not, and they say that God does not exist, and we know he does, I still know that there is something that's tugging in my heart. Even if it does not exist and all this Jesus stuff is false, at least I lived a life above reproach. I was kind to my neighbors and I showed love to my fellow human beings. When I reached the end of life's journey, I could look back and say, I lived a good life. Also, I know that had I come from somewhere, that I came from somewhere and I don't live my life to disappear into nowhere. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. This is my simple approach to religion. Don't talk the walk, but walk the talk. Let your light so shine that others may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. For me, Tim, Christianity is not what I can get out of God, but how useful I can be for him. And quite honestly, I just want to be humble, be kind, live in harmony with nature, be honest, and have integrity. If I do those simple things, I believe God will take care of the rest. You know, that's an interesting, it's an interesting response. I, I remember one time on a podcast that we were doing, gosh, I want to say it was, oh gosh, it was quite a while ago, but Rod mentioned something that I thought was really interesting. And he mentioned that when you're wrong, at the moment that you're wrong, or that the moment that you feel like you're wrong, you don't feel like you're wrong you feel like you're correct. And so message believers feel like they're correct. There's no 
ultimate feeling that you're wrong when when you're when it's pointed out to you that you're wrong the feeling that you have is you're almost a little ashamed that you were wrong or you're defensive uh, and that creates a feeling that you were incorrect uh, but at the end of the day realizing that you were wrong is part of getting back on track and getting back on the right on the right path right so so you can you can be wrong genuinely wrong uh, and earnestly wrong and and you don't have to feel defensive and you don't have to feel like you're uh, you know like you're struggling with being wrong what you know and I, what i hear you saying is is really part of that is to say get on the path that just looks at jesus christ and make sure that you're emulating that uh, as part of your Christianity. And then, by the way, even if you're wrong at the end of the day, uh, you still lived as well as you could, and you're open to being corrected, and you're open to being, for God to be able to lead you, or the Holy Spirit to be able to lead you uh, and into the right way into into God. And I, well, I really appreciate that, uh, particularly based on the information that Rod or the comment that Rod had shared some time ago, I think that your your comment is directly in line with that exactly, James. And I really appreciate that. And you know, when 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 it comes to, um, I mean, I have it. It is such a sad thing, Tim, um, when you when you um, work on someone, and eventually they they come out of the message. And it's such a sad thing to see them just wander off um, into all these different directions. Um, but, you know, the one thing that, I, that I've realized, um, and, and, and you must remember that when I came out, I, 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 I just didn't want to have anything to do with religion for a, for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I remember so vividly, I, I, I couldn't pray. I couldn't read my Bible. I didn't want to go to any church. Um, but one Friday evening, uh, Crystal and myself came from shopping. And we passed this Pentecostal church. It's about two minutes from where I live. And there was this um, brother standing on the, on, the, um, on the steps of this church. And I actually, you know, when I, when I passed, I thought he was busy breaking in because it was like 7 o'clock Sunday evening. And it was just um, getting dark. Uh, so, so what I did is I made a U-turn with my car. And I drove into the, the car park of the church. And I called him. And I wanted to know what he was doing there. And this brother said to me, um, he says, no, we have prayer meeting every Friday night. And I said, oh, for prayer meeting? And he said, you, you could come and join us. Um, I said, are you sure? He said, yes. I said, fine, I'm going to take my wife home. Um, and drop the groceries and then I'll come. So by the time I got to church, there were a few people. And, you know, everybody walked into the sanctuary. Nobody talked to each other. They just started praying. And again, there I felt like an alien. You know, I just walked in there and I looked at everybody, funny people, just praying everybody in a corner in this big church. And I couldn't pray. I didn't even know how to pray anymore. I was so devastated. And then as this as the night progressed, I started, you know, with a simple, our Father, which art in heaven. And, you know, and before I knew, I started confessing how I um, disappointed the Lord and how, you know, I wasn't vigilant enough. 
and how I allowed myself to be deceived. And I asked God to forgive me. And slowly the words started coming. And, you know, eventually I was the only one praying there. Everybody kept quiet. I was the only one praying. And I, I prayed for about an hour and a half. And then it was all quiet and everybody came over and they greeted and introduced themselves. And then I went into this pastor's office and we spoke for a while. And then he said a prayer for me. And, you know, that peace that came over me was just indescribable. It was a peace that I've never experienced before. And that is when I knew that, you know, it doesn't matter what, God is always there um, watching your back. God is always there guiding you. The Holy Spirit is always keeping watch over you. Um, but, you know, if you allow yourself to be taken, you will be taken. James, we're going to uh, uh, wrap this up um, soon, but I, I had one thing that kind of comes out of what you were talking about with your approach to religion and faith. And and this is a, a big negative. You talk about this. Um, we published your, your testimony on the Believe the Sign website, and I'll put a link to it on the podcast if people want to refer to it. But you talk about voice of God and others in the message basically trashing the Bible, uh, that, that, that they say, look, there are a lot of errors in the Bible, and we don't have any issue with them. Why should we have a problem with the errors in the message? And obviously, that approach uh, is a very negative to people leaving the message. What's your response to this kind of um, approach by Voice of God and others? Yeah, Rod, I um, I don't know if you can remember. I once sent you a letter that I, an email that I got from from um, Joseph Branham. And basically yeah. in there, he was, he was telling me that, you know, because the Bible is full of discrepancies, um, we have to accept um, the discrepancies of, of William Branham um, because there's discrepancies in the Bible. Um, and it was quite sad because, you know, the, the examples uh, Joseph Branham used was he was talking about the resurrection. You know, and the argument is was the the the, the one gospel, the book of the gospel talks about two angels, and the one talks about one angel, and there's a bit of discrepancy there. And my approach is very simple. If you look at any story in the Bible, you look at the essence of the story. You know, and and when it comes to the resurrection, it is really did Jesus die? Was he buried? Did he rise? And the answer to all those questions is yes. And that is the essence of the message. Um, you, 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 you get the example. The other example he used was Paul on the road to Damascus. And where some say they heard a voice and others uh, did not mention a voice. And again there, um, you know, you, the, the essence of the story is that Paul or Saul at the time was on his road to Damascus. When he got struck by this light fell off his horse, and after that, Saul was changed. That is the essence of the message. And, and my question is very simply, did it happen like that? And the answer is, yes, it happened like that. The, the little details in there, um, you have to check who wrote it. And if, if more than one person wrote the accounts, the different accounts, then, you know, you're bound to have little, um, little, uh, details that's not the same but the essence of the story when it's the same 
you can't argue. Um, you know, when it, when it comes to William Branham, when he says he was standing right under the cloud when they took the photos, if we go back, we look at the essence of that story. William Branham didn't even know about the cloud. He only um, got knowledge of the cloud after he was shown the magazine by his, um, by his friend. Um, so none of those things you can reconcile. Whereas with the Bible, we have a problem with um, translation. We have a problem with language. We, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of stuff that comes together um, before you can talk about the discrepancy. Um, so my advice to anybody is look at the essence of any Bible story and then decide whether there's been a discrepancy. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt you, James, but, but there's what, what you're touching on, I, I think, is really important. I listened to a guy by the name of James Wallace. James Wallace was a well is a well respected cold case detective, so he's a guy, and he was actually on um, on uh, sixty Minutes, the CBS program, and he wrote a book called Cold Case Christianity. He became a Christian by examining the testimonies that he found in the New Testament, and he actually wanted to disprove it and prove that this couldn't have taken place. What he found out was that there were similarities between investigating cold cases and investigating the claims of Christianity because cold case homicides, murders are events from the distant past for which there's little or no forensic evidence left. And, and these kinds of cases are sometimes solved on the basis of eyewitness testimony, even though many years have passed between the point of the crime and the point of the investigation by the cold case examiner and and this is a so we found is that there might not be any surviving eyewitness to the actual murder there are often witnesses available who can help puzzle together the events that led up to the crime or the behavior of a suspect following the crime and and those witnesses can be evaluated in a number of ways to confirm their reliability and in the end a strong circumstantial case which can be accepted by the courts, can usually be made by collecting the witness statements and verifying their observations, even though they don't have any forensic evidence. And James Wallace said, by taking this approach, he arrested and successfully prosecuted a number of cold case suspects who thought they'd gotten away with murder. And I want to read this quote from his book, uh, Cold Case Christianity. He says, Christianity makes a claim about an event from the distant past for which there is little or no forensic evidence. Like cold cases, the truth about what happened can be discovered by examining the statements of eyewitnesses and comparing them with what little additional evidence is accessible to us. If the eyewitnesses can be evaluated and their statements can be verified by what we have available, an equally strong circumstantial case can be made for the claims of the New Testament. And he said, are there any reliable eyewitness statements in existence to corroborate in the first place? This became the most important question I had to answer in my personal investigation of Christianity. Were the gospel narratives eyewitness accounts or were they only moralistic mythologies? Were the gospels reliable or were they filled with untrustworthy supernatural absurdity? 
the most important questions I could ask about Christianity just so happen to fall within the area of my expertise. And he says, I was a committed atheist when I first heard a pastor preach a sermon that described the resurrection of Jesus. And he went and dug into the rules and he said, I decided to investigate the resurrection as I would any unsolved case from the distant past. My journey led me out of atheism to the truth of Christianity. As I applied my skills as a detective, I became more convinced that the New Testament gospel accounts reliably describe the life, ministry, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yep. Yep. That's that's amazing. And, you know, with, with, with all these things, um, I, I believe that if we are sincere and we look at these things, um, at the end of the day, you will realize that the message does not compare with the Bible. No. Um, and therefore, you cannot use the Bible to uh, justify all the lies, the deception, the fraud and corruption that we see so rampant in the message. Yeah, exactly. Exactly the truth. Well, thank you very much, James. We have really appreciated having you on again to talk about the experiences we didn't get a chance to talk about in our first interview. And so I really know that our listeners will really enjoy hearing what you have to say. I hope you could come back again at some point in time in the future and we can talk about things as they are unfolding. And as you know, and I know, there are a lot of things that are unfolding uh, with respect to people continuing to come out of the message, which is simply an answer to prayer. Mm. Thank you, Rod, um, Tim, and Emily. Um, This was really an an honor and privilege to um, chat with you guys. And Rod, you are most welcome anytime. Um, You know, just just tell me when I'll be too willing to share what, what I pick up. Appreciate that very much. God bless you. Thanks, guys. And James, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, thanks, James. And uh, greetings to your wife and to your daughters. And uh, yeah, hopefully our paths will cross again uh, this side of heaven sometime. Yeah, I I hope so. I sincerely hope so, Emily. (laughs) God bless you, Rod. Thanks, um, James. Thank you for all the hard work you do and um, for your sacrifices. Um, I just want you to know that we appreciate it and that we support you 100% in your efforts. Thanks very much. God bless. God bless. That brings us to the conclusion of our interview with James Manuel. Please join us next month for our interview with an author from Brazil who recently wrote a book in Portuguese exposing the problems with the message. If you have any questions, please go to our website at offtheshelf.life. There is space for comments and questions at the bottom of each episode. Or you can send us an email at rod at offtheshelf.life. Please let us know if there are any issues or questions that you think we should address or someone we should consider interviewing. Thank you very much for listening. And remember that God loves you and is not afraid of your questions. Have a great week.